Hey everybody, this episode of the podcast is brought to you once again by Jim Gypsy. Jim Gypsy is a training log which lets you record more than just your sets and reps. You can record your nutrition, you can record your water intake, you can even set daily reminders for meetings you have, for chores you have, and you can even set reminders for how you want to think or behave that day. And it comes with monthly calendars that you can set, plan out your week, you can plan out your month, you can remind yourself of those big meets coming up. They even come with sections that have notes that you want to reflect on your training or plan for future parts of your training. And they come out in tri-monthly sections, meaning that you get three months in a training log for each season of the year, spring, summer, winter, fall. And it comes with unique cover art for each season of the year. So it makes it worthwhile looking back beyond just your training. It's something cool to look at. Check them out at gym-gypsy.com. You can use the link in the episode description below. And you can also use the promo code in the episode description below to save yourself some money on some other subjects and items on the website. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by X Endurance. X Endurance is a partner of First Attempt Lifting, and it is a great supplement line. It's one of the safest and cleanest supplement lines out there. And you can try it out for yourself by using the link in the episode description below. And if you use that link, you can also support the business. And if you're interested in joining Team X Endurance, which is a new way for you to save 25% on all products and apparel, as well as get free shipping and discounts from other brands that X Endurance has partnered with, like uh, Performance Sleep, which is a really, really awesome and affordable memory foam mattress that I personally use and is my favorite mattress, and I would not think about getting anything else. Uh, you can also save on that by becoming a part of Team X Endurance. Use the link in the episode description below to check it out and sign up if you want to get some more benefits beyond just saving some, on some supplement lines. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you once again by me, myself, and I, and my business, First Attempt Lifting. If you're interested in something that's different, something that's better than your usual online programming, check out my online programming with me. Uh, yeah, kind of weird to say that, but anyway, uh, I try to do my best to be different from other online coaches out there, from other online programs. I really, really try my hardest to give the best individualized programming, uh, macro coaching, and online coaching experience possible. And if you're interested in just macros for yourself, I've come out with my latest edition of macros. I I haven't thought about this line before, but anyway, I have macro packets now available to where you can get customized macros for yourself. They are not automated macros. They are not generalized macros based on your sex and just weight. They're customized to you, your age, your height, your weight, your sex, and they come with you. You basically get every possible training scenario for training intensity, whether you're just a regular recreational person working out or if you're a heavy construction laborer and you're also trying to go to the olympics you got all the options you basically have four different possibilities for your macros built in one check that out at firstattemplifting.com that link is also in the episode description below but if you're interested in supporting the podcast and the business without buying something you can become a patron through our patreon link in the episode description below and even as little as $5 a month, you'll get a personalized shout out on the podcast episode. You'll get a personalized shout out on our YouTube channel. You're going to get 
we're, we're just gonna thank you the best way we can through a lot of different other options coming out but just starting out with five dollars a month would be very very welcome all right that's enough of that let's get into the episode i had a way then losing it all on my own i had a heart then but the queen has been overthrown and i'm not sleeping soundcloud which again i'm going to put on the uh, episode description below for everybody to enjoy no real reason why i liked uh this uh song no like clever intro for it but i guess if i had to reach for it i could say with the i fall apart is because sometimes in athletics you get a little worn down you get a little tired you get a little sore and sometimes things uh unfortunately break and get a little bit rough and this episode i'm talking to two therapists i'm talking to Dr. Matt Longfellow, who is a doctor of physical therapy, and James Fryer, who is a licensed massage therapist, and a neuromuscular therapist, which is pretty interesting. I didn't know what an NMT was until uh, a couple weeks ago when I started meeting him when he was working with my girlfriend, Stephanie Garrett, on some of her issues that she had some injuries sustained from her previous coach and training. And... We talk about a lot of interesting things in this this podcast, but the the, pr- the primary focus is dealing with people practicing out of out of their scope of practice. And what I mean by scope of practice is understanding your limits as as a professional. So one of the one of the topics I bring up is the fact that there is a trend in the strength and conditioning field which is dubbed uh, movement optimization or movement correction, in which strength and conditioning coaches are trying to improve certain movement patterns of athletes through things like uh, doing like a lot of single leg squats or just breaking down a lot of movements into very, very minute details to you know correct movement deficiencies, which for me, I would have to question, one, 
if you're an, if you're a strength and conditioning coach working with high level athletes in the, the example I bring up is when I was an intern at the University of Chapel Hill is you're dealing with some of the best athletes, not just in the country, but possibly in the world. Um, what exactly are you going to do to correct their movements that they don't already know how to do inherently? And these were things like trying to correct athletes through things like jumping and landing motions, trying to correct athletes through things like, just, yeah, just stuff like that, like trying to improve their running patterns, improving their jumping and landing patterns. But you're dealing with athletes who've been running and jumping and doing all that stuff for years now, for almost decades. And I, I don't truly understand that because as strength and conditioning coaches, your goal is to make athletes stronger and more conditioned. Whereas with a physical therapist or an athletic trainer, that is their job is to correct their movement patterns to reduce pain, tightness, and discomfort. And we get into that a little bit details about under, about why do people think that just because not only because they work out or they have a degree of some sort that they feel like they can do the job of another person. I have my bachelor's in applied exercise physiology. I have my master's in sports performance, as I've stated before. I'm actually thinking of going back to school for a PhD in exercise science of some kind, probably kinesiology, but I wouldn't dream about trying to, to correct someone's movement patterns to fix their pain. I would try to you know correct movements under a squat or a barbell or things or break down a movement in order to reduce pain during that movement. But if it comes to something that it's pain in a movement and outside of movement, chronic pain all day long, that's going to be something that a, a physical therapist is going to have to look into because even with all of my education and research and experience, I don't know how to properly look at an athlete and diagnose their pain. That's just the, that's just the honest truth. And I find a lot more success because if someone's saying like, Hey, this pain is bothering me, you know, all day long, it hasn't gotten better. It's like, all right, go see a therapist because I don't know how to fix that. And I'm not going to try and do it because I'm going to make it worse. And I see all the time coaches looking up and reading and, you know, researching stuff like core exercises or knee movement pattern or hip stability stuff. And they'll see athletes come in like, Oh, you know, my shoulder hurts and go, well, it's because your core isn't tight. How, how do you know that? Like you're, you're, re you're really reaching. Sure, maybe core instability can lean to a chain of issues to where maybe the shoulder is out of line, out of socket, in an overhead position, but you don't know that because you don't know how to properly screen and manipulate someone physically to see if that's actually the case. And we get into that a lot, so uh, I'm not going to go and ramble on about it anymore. So... Without further ado, here is Dr. Matt Longfellow and James Fryer.
sure. Um, so Dr. Matt Longfellow, um, physical therapist. Uh, I've been practicing now for about four years. Um, got my start working at Ohio State University, uh, and then I left Ohio State to start my own business, Diverge Performance Therapy, um, in Columbus about a year ago in March of 2018. Um, I've been working there since. Uh, we see a lot of CrossFitters, Olympic weightlifters, strength athletes, um, folks of that nature help, help them out with rehab, recovery, and then programming on the back end to keep them strong and healthy. Okay. And I'm James Fryer. I am a massage therapist and neuromuscular therapist. So I went back to school for that. And what I've kind of dove into is learning to understand how people can mix from going from an athlete to being so specialized that one thing that they actually create their own limitations. So I've kind of dove into the mixture of manual therapy and movement therapy and really trying to get to the root of why people have pain and what their limitations really are. So I've been doing that for about two and a half years now. Um, training and exercise science is my undergrad. So I've been into that for about 10 years now. Okay. Uh, so let's just, like, what's the main, the main difference between a neuromuscular <laughs> therapist and a physical therapist? So as a physical therapist, I would say the biggest uh, distinction is, you know, I'm as a physical therapist, I'm able to diagnose injuries, diagnose um, people's physical issues, and also screen for pathologies that might be out of our physical health world that maybe need to go and see a physician or see somebody kind of up the medical tier. Um, that's really my main role um, is, you know, assessing people in pain diagnosing their problem, making sure it's something that we as a physical therapist or as a neuromuscular therapist can can actually treat physically and it's not something more sinister that we need to go and see uh, a physician. Um, I'm also able to do, you know, in terms of scope of practice, um, really there's not a whole lot in the physical realm that I'm not able to do. We can do dry needling, we can do manipulations, um, all sorts of manual therapy, soft tissue. Um, outside of that, I would say James and I, the way we practice in terms of coaching exercise and stuff is very similar. Um, it's more the, the ability to diagnose and screen for red flags that kind of distinguishes us. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're totally, you know, like-minded and going for the same thing when we do have a problem with a person. And some people need a diagnosis, some people don't. You know, it just depends on their situation. And really, I'm trying to improve their movement the same as he's trying to improve their movement. And you just have different tools to get somebody there. Okay, so... I'm just going based off of the, off the names alone, but James, it would be you're trying to primarily fix issues in movement patterns or pain or stuff like that through the connection of the brain to motor units into the actual muscle itself. So going from brain down to muscle and back, which is something you know, what physical therapists do, but uh, like you said, you do you. Uh, Matt can do more of like, dry needling, mm -hmm. manipulation, uh, stuff like that. So Yeah, they're, they're different tools. We always talk about that. Everybody's toolbox um, it can look a little bit different, but you still have the same end goals in mind. You know, we're still looking to improve movement. We're looking to increase variability in joints so that the joints have free motion in, in both directions, but also free motion and control. If you don't have control of that motion, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble when you actually get into that range of motion. Yeah. And now you're working, well, you're on working with my girlfriend and I don't really consider her my athlete anymore, but I just train her because she's 
we're working with my coach, Coach Wilkes, but you also work with, uh, I forget your last name, but Joel. Oh, Emery. Emery, yeah. yeah. So you guys work with some pretty high level weightlifters. So mm-hmm. what's, so yeah, we can, that's actually a good segue is into one of the things I w- want to talk to you guys about, which is looking at programming and periodization from a therapist standpoint, because everyone, everyone and their mother knows about, you know, linear periodization, undulating periodization, conjugate, block, all that stuff. But as a, as therapists, is there any kind of like, uh, if you're scraping up there, this is the cats because they don't want them messing with the, the cords and things. But, so they're just noisy, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, is there any, do you, is there any kind of thing for a therapist, like looking at athletes? Do you like look at things in terms of like blocks or like, like we were talking about before with uh, Joelle, you're about her, her quad cycle training. Is there anything like that? for the therapy side of working with athletes. Yeah, I mean, so I guess to kind of frame it and working with a lot of the weightlifters and strength athletes that I've seen, um, most of those people that are having problems tend to have this very similar deficits and similar problems. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of those problems and deficits are, I think, a pro- part, partially a product of the way they train. Um, if we want to keep it like Olympic weightlifting, Everybody's staggered all the time. It's, you know, squat, deadlift, snatch, clean, jerk, all straight ahead. It's all barbell work. Mm-hmm. We get locked into that sagittal plane. Um, most commonly we see, you know, people don't have full hip mobility. They don't have good pelvic control, core stability, you know, a lot of deficits because everybody trains in the sagittal plane. And so we use a lot of our assessments to kind of help people figure out accessory work that they need to be doing. And I think in terms of like block programming, I try to get a lot of my athletes to kind of look at it from a general preparation standpoint. Maybe we need like an eight to 10 week off season general preparation phase where we're working on some of those deficits versus always being in competition mode where they're just doing lots and lots of barbell work all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I've always told people, you know, when you're trying to specialize in anything, whether that's Olympic lifting, I've had a chance to work with some wrestlers, um, they're always going to find Uh, or get chinks in their armor essentially when the knife is the sharpest okay they're they're gonna get little chinks in their metal yeah so they're constantly training for this one or two specialized movements and at the same time they're locking up all the other ranges of motion so on a day-to-day basis when they go outside and try to move now their shoulder hurts because they're moving outside of olympic weightlifting still and life you know, so they still have to be able to walk normal. They still have to be able to pick up stuff off the floor and their back hurts, their knee hurts because they're only good right now at Olympic weightlifting. So yeah. we have to still provide enough uh, novel stimulus to get them to move in other planes comfortably. Um, and they just tend to lose that with that hyper focus of that sagittal, like forward, backward plane there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that was something that Stephanie was dealing with mm-hmm. was she was in so much pain in her back that she couldn't do her job as a stylist or a, a cosmetics sales rep. So like just standing was painful for her. And even it got to the point where just lying down was painful for her. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, this gets into, I was just thinking, have you read the sports gene by David Epstein? I'm not, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. There's uh, I have it somewhere here. If I find it, I'll let you guys borrow it, but yeah. it's really good. It's a really easy read. 
David Epstein <clears throat> was a, a sports journalist for like ESPN magazine, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he started going into like trying to analyze like is the like is there actually secret genetics to making good athletes? Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because I talked to a guy by the name of Nate Serrano, who's a PhD candidate at ASU, mm-hmm. and a lot of his research that he just did uh, actually puts into question how much genetics really plays into mm-hmm. making elite level athletes. Now, there's still a huge, a lot of evidence saying like, well, if you're born with it, you're born with it, and that's it. But he brings up a real heavy question of. Uh, mostly in like the actual physical structure of muscle tissue that we it changes a lot of that so it does change a lot of things of like well these people were never like really built this way this, uh, back in their early lives and now they're built this way so does genetics actually play as much of a role at birth as we did before but the other thing in that book that was a little tangent there was talking about specificity and burning out because you know, kids, I forget what the age was. I think it was like if you start a kid before the age of 12, mm-hmm. they have like an 80% chance of burning out by the time they're 18 of a sport. Mm-hmm. But he raises a lot of good questions in there of not just, you know, burnout physically, like you were talking about saying, if all I'm doing is a snatch and clean and jerk and squats and deadlifts, and then I'm trying to turn my body to pick up something off of a uh, like if I'm packing boxes and mm-hmm. stuff all day, like, that's painful. Yeah. yeah. But this raises it like because it brings a lot of people saying don't don't be specific with your kids. Have them play lots of sports, mm-hmm. which I think is is good, but it's not actually what makes elite level athletes. <laughs> like I think actually training those things, actually training your various ranges of motion, changing uh, chaining that. Training things like core stability, learning how to relax certain parts of your body while keeping other things tight, doing general physical prep. I think those are consequences of doing lots of sports early on. But when people start getting specific, they start losing that again. Like, how many athletes or clients have you worked with over the years in general where it's like, oh, I used to play. X sport, Y sport, Z sport, and then I was really in love with weightlifting, and now I'm doing weightlifting all the time, but now I got all these problems that I didn't have when I was doing everything else. Mm-hmm. It's I don't think it's necessarily like doing all the sports makes a better athlete, but doing all the things to make you a healthy, stable human being makes you a good athlete. So what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'd say like youth is a perfect example. Um you look at all the top-level athletes, like all the NFL guys, all the NBA guys, you talk to them. There's been research studies done on this. All those guys, all the top-level athletes in the world played multiple sports where they were, when they were young, and they got that base of general physical preparation and exposed to a lot of different movement patterns. Um, and then at some point, once you get to the point where you need to specialize and make it to the NBA or get really elite, yes, you need to take that other stuff away and kind of get that hyper-focus on your specific activity. Um, and that's where we start to see like when people really start to, to specialize too early or they don't get the, the general physical preparation they need, that's when we start running into like overuse injuries. So baseball is a great example. Kids specialize in baseball too soon. They get all sorts of shoulder and elbow problems. Yeah. They're pitching year round. They're doing showcases and all that. You know, they just never give their body a break and they never 
expose themselves to other movement patterns, so they just develop overuse patterns. Um, weightlifters, uh, you know, they get once they start getting getting really serious about weightlifting, then it's like like you said that it's all about snatching and cleaning and jerking and squatting, which is fine because you need to be good at those things. But there are other movements uh, that we need to incorporate into training to make sure they don't get stuck in the sagittal plane and stuck in those positions. Um, and expose them to other stimulus to help develop other areas of their body to make sure they're not getting into those overuse positions or overuse patterns. Yeah, people, they, they really just start, it's almost like they lose ground little by little in the planes. Like, obviously, becoming a good weightlifter, you have to have sagittal, frontal, transverse. You have to be able to stabilize all of them. But the longer and longer they spend outside of those other ones, then they start to leak into those planes. So you see Olympic weightlifters kind of do like a little helicopter action at the top of their lift. You know, yeah. they start rotating. Well, they're just leaking in that transverse plane now. They they can no longer stabilize it. Or if they tip side to side on one of their lifts, they're not able to front frontal plane stabilize anymore. So you actually see the leaks starting to happen while they're lifting. You know, they're losing it in those planes, not even if they have pain, they're still losing stability there. And if they don't train that stability in those other planes, then they're just going to keep losing that stuff. And with the kids, it's the same thing. Like they don't have enough of a, a playing background anymore. Like not even talking sports, like moving, playing, wrestling, you know, messing around. Yeah. So they, they just lose that capacity and then they constantly then overstimulus them when you go from one camp to another camp to football to baseball there's no tiny breaks at all um for them and they just get burnt out on everything i think i don't think it's even just one sport like so many of the kids especially their family has money yeah they just run them from one camp to the other five practices a day if they have to um there's almost too much exposure to that stuff now yeah that's uh, I've, i've been seeing that a lot lately where people will get their kids involved in like high level sport, high level sport, high level sport, but there's no actual, like you're saying play or development mm-hmm. of fit. Uh, there's no there. They don't realize that there's actually, they are specializing. Yeah. They're just specializing in a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And like you can see that with as, as someone who does weightlifting, like you can see minor Leak like you were saying leaks into the other the planes with mm-hmm. some elite level athletes. Mm-hmm. Even if you watch uh, CJ Cummings when he's lifting, mm-hmm. it's it started like some of like the helicopter motion stability of like he's doing massive amounts of weight, but it's mm-hmm. not as pristine as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And you look at some other really highly technical lifters Mm -hmm. like uh mag rogers or harrison morris like they're super crisp and clean Mm -hmm. but i don't know again i don't know what they're doing in their training on the outside but it's just a example of some athletes can get away with it for a long time because they're so crisp and clean with their technique it doesn't bother them but it's kind of it's like building building your career on a house of cards because all it takes is just one little thing to topple everything over like it did with Stephanie. Like she was fine. Mm-hmm. And then, well, she was progressively getting more and more wrecked from her training. Mm-hmm. And then it was just one minor little movement that was like in, imperceptible to an eye when you're looking at it, but you look like look deeper and deeper. You can mm-hmm. see just a minor tweak in her hip. Mm-hmm. And then that's what 
messed up her back. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question of, it's not really a question in my mind of if, but when. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it never does become a win because the athletes are like, oh, I, I got all the medals I wanted. I'm done. And they move mm-hmm. on. But if they sure. kept going longer, like how long until just one little thing pushed it yeah. just too far. Yeah. So not even like for, for weightlifters or CrossFitters, but like all athletes in general, like what, what would your suggestion be to prevent that kind of leaking for people who want to be specific in like, who want to be really good athletes? Uh, actually, I'll back it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, because this is a, a, a issue for me is like strength coaches, and this is kind of the uh, like the scope of practice mm-hmm. is there's a movement in the strength coach industry about being like movement correction and mm-hmm. corrective exercise, corrective exercises, right, yeah. muscular imbalances, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, it's I see it, but it's mostly coaches going, okay. Uh, this athlete is a lacrosse player. They do a lot of cutting, a lot mm-hmm. of sprinting, reverse stuff. Mm-hmm. So we need to not do what they're deficit in, but work on correcting those movements themselves. And for me personally, I'm like, okay, I have a lot of knowledge in strength and conditioning. I do have some knowledge because I was an athletic trainer, pre-physical therapist student back in college that did that for about two years before I switched over. Mm-hmm. So I know a little bit understanding of uh, therapy modalities, all that mm-hmm. stuff. But for me, it's like, if I'm dealing with an athlete who is literally getting paid in a sense mm-hmm. to run track and field or play lacrosse at the D one level, yeah. what am I going to teach them more about fixing their running patterns or fixing mm-hmm. their corrective motor patterns? So I think a lot of strength coaches are, misunderstanding trying to enhance movement Mm -hmm. through strength and conditioning and literally just trying to act as therapists going oh this person has terrible running mechanics when it's like like um you guys probably have the eye to look at people squat and go okay this person squats different than this person than person b and then person b squats different than person c but you can look at them and go, okay, they're all doing the same thing in terms of bracing their core mm-hmm. to not injure themselves. So, sure. like, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of wiggle room in that stuff, and that comes from exposure and learning. And I'll let Matt take this too. Is like what we're really looking for the difference I think between coaching somebody into doing something to like telling them you need to get your arms. Uh, straighter on your jerk you need to like you can coach and cue things you need more you need to bring your hips through the bar better well that is where if you're coaching something and they can't change it or if we look at them and they lack hip extension getting through the bar you can tell them until you're blue in the face they need to get through the bar more and they're not ever going to be able to get through the bar you know, like if they don't have the physical capacities to even go there, the only way they're going to get there is by using something else. If yeah. you keep trying to coach them into it by just saying, bring your hips through, they're going to use something else. Yeah. And that's just what we're really, I think, digging into is like learning. You can't force something that's not there. You can't coach people out of a movement problem. If they don't have hip extension, they're not going to get hips to bar. They're going to find a way to do it. 
So yeah. Q and Q and Q and Q, but until we fix that hip problem, or maybe it's a foot problem, or you know whatever it may be, if they have a movement problem limiting their ability to get into the positions you want, you can't coach them out of that. And that's where assessments comes in. That's where what we do comes in is we see an athlete with a technical issue. The run, you know, your lacrosse player doesn't know how to cut. Weightlifter can't get hips to the bar. Whatever it may be, we need to assess them and figure out do they have the foundational physical capacities to do what they need to do. If the answer is no, they need to work on those movement abilities, the foundational abilities to get there. Then we progress them along to where now it becomes a coaching problem because now they have the movement, the capacities to get there. Now you as a coach can be more successful with your cueing if they have the hip extension or the motor capacities they need. Um, but until they have those things, you're beating your head against the wall trying to get them into positions they don't have access to. So we have to give them access first, then we train the skill, then we train the capacity. Yeah. And that's the that's my main issue with the movement correction fad is a lot of strength coaches are trying to do things like which when they say it is it is correct it's like okay we want our athletes to have more stable cores when they're moving their hips so we'll do things like glute bridges like weighted glute bridges or single leg squats and like stuff like that which I go okay yep that all that makes sense that's understandable but at the same time it's like how do you when you're working with teams of anywhere from 10 to 30 kids at once you're throwing a blanket movement pattern on a whole group of people which they may not even have those issues so for me like just in my my opinion is that's encroaching on your guys's field of therapy of going like you're saying okay these kids when they're snatching they don't get their their hips fully extended it's like is it because they just don't know how to extend their hips or is there an underlying issue that's preventing them from keeping their hips extending and if you like, and this is also another thing is just like with with specialty movements general movements also change the outcome of an ath- of athlete's performance because it's never just oh we can fix everything and get everybody moving towards a, a general line it's like i like to think of it like a like a tree branch and every decision you make with an athlete in an exercise will make them branch off in one direction or another mm-hmm. so for me as a strength coach and a weightlifting coach I'm perfectly okay with being like, all right, we're going to snatch, we're going to clean, we're going to do some accessory, we're going to do some single leg movements to counterbalance your hip stability because you're doing only bilateral movements. We're going to do some core stability and rotation stuff, blah, blah, blah. But to be like going, oh, well, you've got a lot of anterior hip uh, tilt, so we need to do some stuff to go posterior, like fix your posterior tilt. I'm like, that's some finely nuanced training that I'm not personally comfortable doing and I think a lot of strength coaches need to take a step back because not knowing how to teach someone how to properly set their pelvis can like like we've seen with Stephanie can lead to a lot of very very physically painful outcomes absolutely I mean it comes down to the person in front of you like if if it's just a, a skill issue, like that's your role as a coach, coach them how to do those things. But if they're having issues over and over and over, they're having pain mm-hmm. or they're having problems, that's where, you know, it'd be negligent not to send them out to somebody to get checked out. 
Yeah, um, that pain and you know injury is kind of where where I tend to draw the line. If somebody's having pain with a pattern, kick it out, get it assessed, figure out what's going on, get a plan by somebody who's you know equipped to actually diagnose and treat that problem, and then bring it back into the gym. Um, but if it's just a movement problem and they just don't know how to extend their hips, then certainly or they're anteriorly tilted, whatever it is, I think it's well within a coach's realm to work on more motor control things like that. But it's where. A lot of coaches, I agree, overstep and try to diagnose problems. You're having back pain because of this. Let's do this to fix it. That's where people start to over overstep their boundaries. And I've seen a lot of poor outcomes because of that. Yeah. They'll jump into like, well, my shoulder used to hurt and I did this and it, and it helped. So you should go try to do this a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, it's really tough to problem solve that kind of thing um, for people on the fly as coaches. I mean good coaching is good coaching like you should be able to coach somebody how to move their pelvis um but again like you said if they have back pain when they're doing said thing or if they're consistently missing training because of pain or discomfort or even if they just have discomfort all the time when they're not in the gym with you because a lot of the athletes that i've saw whether they're soccer players or wrestlers or olympic lifters like they are in chronic pain when they're not playing their sport actually yeah. So they literally can no longer, they no longer want to go play their sport because they know it's going to make them feel worse all the rest of the time. So a lot of people, when they're in that high threshold realm of like lifting and playing sports, they feel great. But if they feel like dog shit all the rest of the time, that's probably another reason to go have somebody get looked at. Yeah. And I mean, for me, whether it's, unless it's like one-on-one coaching and even if like down the line when I have a gym and people can come in for an hour and a half or two hours, it's still like, that's a very, very small amount of time. And I'm trying to do gross motor patterns with them. Like I'm trying to get them better at, you know, a snatch, a clean, a squat, or these big strength movements or plyometric movements so that they can be better at running, jumping, Mm -hmm. sprinting, cutting, X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I don't have the time and frankly, the patience to really do fine motor movement pattern work. Like when we were doing the, uh, like when you were going over with Stephanie, being like, squeeze the ball between your knees while you're pressing your, like working on all these fine different things. Like that takes, that's not your role as a coach. That's not my role as a coach either. It's, but like, that's, that's the thing that most, like I, I get annoyed by strength coaches trying to do that. It's like the amount of time Mm-hmm. and energy it takes to just get through one simple corrective exercise like uh, what's that called the it's the hook where, line tilt yeah the hook line tilt, tilt movement mm-hmm. like the amount of time it gets it takes to get through like three sets of four <laughs> to five breathing patterns with ste- I, those three like half hour <laughs> yeah those those three exercises that's mm-hmm. stephanie's morning routine before she goes to work yeah yeah is get that going so she feels fine and can come back and train later in the yeah, day like, exactly that's a whole session in and of itself. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Stephanie was in chronic pain. Yeah. She needs that attention to detail because she's stuck in the sagittal plane, overextended, relying on her lumbar erectors, did not know how to you know, tilt her pelvis or control her pelvis. So she got stuck always just relying on her lower back to do the work for her all the time. So she needs a lot of skill, cueing, coaching, hands-on work to help her learn what hip extension actually feels like. Yeah. That's a treatment. That's a medical problem because she was in pain. Yeah. It's not, you know, when someone's coming to you as a coach, 
you don't have 30 or 40 minutes to invest into doing that and teaching her those skills. People come to you to train capacity. So there's skill work and motor competency work, teaching her how to control her pelvis. And then by the time she's done with her rehab process, then she comes back yeah. for training. And as a, as a coach, that looks like exactly what you were talking about. That looks like anterior pelvic toe. Oh, okay. Let's strengthen our glutes up. Let's yeah. put a barbell on. Let's do some glute bridges. Like it makes sense in theory, Yeah. but she's missing hip extension. So no amount of barbell glute bridges is going to make her back feel better. And in theory, a lot of times it'll still make it feel worse. So it seems like it makes a ton of sense to help her with that as a coach. But again, if she has pain, it's, in her case, it was because her lack of ability to extend her hips, no matter what she was doing, standing, walking, lifting, you know, there was nothing that she was going to be able to do that was going to make her feel that much better. Yeah. And then the other thing is the other thing that's going on, particularly with like Stephanie and something that actually uh, would be interesting another the last little half hour of this it's mm-hmm. yeah, probably like how long is your drive back to your place like about 20 25 minutes okay so yeah this would be, be a good second half of this yeah. but um is because of stephanie's previous coach and how he kept making her lift with a super tight belt mm-hmm. um we're getting she's got gotta go get uh checked by her position again but there seems she already had some issues with her reproductive organs from birth but something it appears that her injury on top of being forced to use a belt super tight um according to our physician has shifted some of her reproductive organs out of place even further which is why she was having severe pain on the side where her ribs were literally touching when she was sitting down mm-hmm. um we're not completely sure, but we just know that there's some complications going on that's been, that might have some now lifelong outcomes mm-hmm. and issues to deal with. But you're also de- you guys are also working along with Joel, like we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. And something that me and Stephanie were talking about because of this is when you think about women in athletics and particularly resistance training, everyone wants to go like, oh, women and men can train exactly the same. There's some kind of like different things going on. Like women can seem to be able to handle a lot more volume well than men. But my thought is when you look at the, just the physical difference, especially in the pelvis and the hip and how the femurs are shaped and everything, and just how little women have been training underneath a barbell in general, like, women have been able to compete in weightlifting at a national and international level for maybe 30 years now. Like, but we have all this data and history on men training. Would it be safe to say like, we really don't know a whole lot about the physical repercussions, both good and bad for women and resistance training, especially like when it comes to thing, things like, controlling the pelvis and the hip, which is where most all physical human movement originates from. And yeah, just like, like messing with that and not understanding like pain originating from there mm-hmm. might be a completely different, uh, would you say might be a completely different uh, treatment uh, pattern than with a guy? I don't know that it would necessarily be different and I don't know that I would say that women and men need to train differently at the end of the day we're all human um, we all need the same stimulus and the same 
training uh, positions, especially if we're all like weightlifters, we need a lot of the same stuff. Um, where I think a lot of people go wrong and where they may might get more predisposed to negative outcomes is when they don't have the foundational capacities in place. So when I look at somebody's training, whether they're a woman or a man, I kind of look at it, it's, it's like a house. You have your foundation, right? Yeah. That's the foundational skills that we need to be successful as a lifter. That's breathing, that's bracing, that's being able to go high threshold and brace like crazy when you're under heavy loads, that's being able to just breathe and stabilize a low threshold position, that's hip extension, that's all the joint ranges of motion, that's your foundation. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, then you have the walls of the house, which is kind of your strength. Now we strengthen basic patterns, squatting, pushing, pulling, hinging, carrying, core work. Then we have the roof of the house, which is your skill work, your snatches, your cleans, your jerks. Where I see a lot of people go wrong is they skip the foundation, they skip the wall, and they go straight to snatching and cleaning and jerking. Yeah. And pushing high volumes, high intensities, high loads. They're strapped into their, their belt all the time. They don't have access to low threshold positions. They don't have that foundation in place. So then they get stuck into those uh, you know, high threshold positions where they're just overusing everything. And that's where injuries might occur is when they skip steps one and two and they don't have the foundation in place. And then they just go and train high volume, high intensities. There's no periodization. There's no variability. There's no change. It's just snatch, clean, jerk, squat all the time. Yeah. I think what catches up um, on women sometimes, and I think it's almost enticing for Olympic lifting coaches and powerlifting coaches when they watch women lift is a lot of them have a lot more joint movement and mm -hmm. range of motion than a lot of guys do. Like you might have a really strong guy that can barely get depth in the squat, but a lot of the women you're going to see, depending on their hips and depending on their history, they have a little bit more joint laxity and hypermobility sometimes. Yeah. So they have beautiful squats sometimes, but they're not actually controlling themselves into that squat. They're just able to fall down into these squats and be like, oh my God, I want to turn you into a weightlifter. Yeah. So a coach sees them and they see this beautiful squat and they're like, let's go squat a bunch of weight now. And a lot of them have strong hips and legs and then... But they don't have, like you said, they don't have that foundation yet. But just because they can get into this beautiful squat position, they're like, you're going to be the best Olympic weightlifter I've ever had. Like, yeah. you've got strong legs and let's start throwing the barbell on. And they've missed so much stuff. But it doesn't happen as much to guys, I don't think, because there's not a lot of guys that will sit in that position as freely as women will. And a coach is going to start drooling when they see somebody get in those positions um, so easily. Yeah, mobility is like the aphrodisiac for both weightlifting coaches and strength coaches alike. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I guess I should I should clarify or redefine what I meant by training differently. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like, oh, women can't snatch and squat hit sure, and all sure. that stuff, but it's more of like, okay, um, because of things like uh, joint... Uh, hypermobility. Hypermobility, and I actually have uh, Ehlers-Danalos Syndrome, mm -hmm. so I sympathize with that a little bit. It's actually the reason why I have to low bar squat now mm -hmm. is um, as I get older, it actually gets more and more lax, mm -hmm. my, my specific condition. So my um, C7-T1 actually shifted mm -hmm. twice. I'm like, oh, can't high bar squat anymore. Mm -hmm. So I have to do a lot of different training now in terms of like it in terms of accessory and stability work mm -hmm. and i think that's something that in terms of men and women is something that's not really considered by a lot of strength coaches like you said is like oh women can get to depth easier mm -hmm. maybe because of how their hips are built mm -hmm. maybe because of their the laxicity in their joints and all this other stuff mm -hmm. but it's all it's not that it's it's very similar in 
the individual differences, even between a guy and a guy. It's like, oh, this guy has real bad mobility issues, mm-hmm. so we need to like, account for that and make sure we're not exacerbating that, whereas mm-hmm. this guy could have really good mobility issues, mm-hmm. but if he's hypermobile, mm-hmm. you also have the chance of injuring them in other ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of coaches don't take into account for the difference between men and women is accessory, stability, mm-hmm. like the foundation and the walls of your mm-hmm. of your your house you were talking about is like if you're trying to build the difference between a ranch and a duplex mm-hmm. kind of deal. Like there are it's not just between men and women, but it's from it's case to case to case. Certainly. It's an yeah. individual basis and yeah. your assessment to dictate the training for that individual in front of you. So I mean as a general rule of thumb, trends that I tend to see, women that I see tend to be kind of more on the lax, hypermobile scale. Um, men in general tend to be a little bit more on the stiff, tight side of things, but there's variability within that. There is no way to kind of pigeonhole anybody into either one of those camps. Um, and it's just using your assessment to dictate that process. Do you need a little bit more mobility type work? Do you need more stability type work? Um, what does your accessory programming need to look like and what does your buildup need to look like? What type of general physical preparation do you need to be successful and not hurt yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that, that varies person to person. And the, again, it's just taking that person in front of you. And we were talking about this earlier before we actually got on. It's like it's the human aspect of coaching. Like yeah. you have to be able to – like nobody's going to know for the most part unless you've been diagnosed with something. So like Airless Danlos, like you have laxity in your joints and that's it's going to be that way. So like – you may know that, but most people probably have no idea whether they're more lax or if they're more stiff, unless you're extreme one way or the other, like super extreme. Most people aren't going to have that awareness like, oh, yeah, like I'm mobile or, oh, yeah, I'm actually really stiff or, you know, they just don't make those uh, those things aren't able to be realized until somebody kind of shows them those things. Um, and if you don't take any of that into account, then you're going to miss the boat with that person a little bit. Yeah, that was that's. Honestly, the reason why after was it two thousand yeah two thousand sixteen American Open no Nationals it was at uh, the Olympic Trials slash Nationals so when I dislocated my elbow but I didn't tear or break anything it just was really sore mm-hmm. and it just so happened that one of the lead uh, trainers at at USA Weightlifting happened to be a specialist in. EDS and is kind of another guy who was from across the country specializing in two. So when they looked at my elbow and they were just like, does this hurt? I'm like, no. And they were like moving my mobilizer. I go, that's a lot of movement. I go, yeah, it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing broke, nothing tore. And they just start pinching and prodding me and going, oh, you have this issue going on. I go, what does that mean? And they go, well, you're gonna have to work a lot more on stability, not just in general, like accessory work, but I've had to, I've basically taken a break just to let my body kind of go back to baseline, mm-hmm. so to speak, so I can go start building back up properly because now I can't, I can't squat or lift or do things like I used to because I have to focus heavily, heavily on being able to catch things tight and strong, otherwise, like something's just gonna pop out of place. Mm-hmm. And like, I wouldn't know that if it wasn't just sheer serendipity that these people were there and could recognize the physical traits of someone with this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 
honestly, I think every, like, kind of you guys now are like my go-to therapists mm-hmm. in Columbus, but I think every strength coach or weightlifting coach needs a therapist either on site or a reference to be like, if something's wrong, like, hey, go see these guys right away because they just need to have the wherewithal to go, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Let's fix this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in your case, is a perfect example of how training should be structured for most people, especially if they're new to weightlifting or having an injury or problems. You're taking time off to kind of build up your foundation, right? So if I'm programming for somebody, it's eight to 12 weeks of working on that foundational stuff. Then we kind of build in more strength stuff. And then as you get closer to competition, that's where you start getting a little more specific with your training, Mm -hmm. prepping for a competition. That's where the skill work comes in. And then in terms of, you know, um, rely or having a therapist to rely on. Um, I think the big caveat to that is making sure it's someone who understands weightlifting and someone who understands the demands that your athletes are going through day to day. Um, cause a physical therapist is not a physical therapist. We don't yeah. do the same stuff, right? So you got to make sure it's somebody who understands your sport, understands your problems and they can actually appreciate and respect the demands of weightlifting before you just mm-hmm. send somebody to a you know, anybody for rehab. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example. And that's how Joelle ended up uh, working with us was she was seeing a physical therapist for her back issues and shoulder issues. I mean, everything issues when we started and they just told her to stop. Yeah. Her, her doctor told her like, just, just stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's because they don't understand what she was going for mm-hmm. and the uh, capacity she needed to be out of pain the normal stuff that they would do with somebody wasn't working because of the higher demands that she was asking her body of. So yeah, and it's, it, it just didn't take that into account because they don't understand it. And that's the shit you're going to get in the, in the mainstream medical system is you, it's, it's a matter of chance who you get put, who you get put in front of. You go to a doctor who doesn't know anything about weightlifting. He's going to tell you just to stop doing it. Take some pain pills, get an injection, go to a physical therapist who doesn't understand weightlifting. You're going to fail physical therapy and then they're going to send you to surgery. Yeah. All because the medical providers you were put in front of didn't understand your problem. So you have to have somebody who understands your problem and your demands. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's um, when people look at doctors and uh, I would say general physical therapists, like they look at them and go, Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. It's well, they do. They do know a, a lot of what they're talking about. The problem is, is that if they're either not experienced in sport themselves or having a long history of, working with athletes and understanding how to modify everything they learn, either in books, classrooms, clinicals, everything to an athlete. Like it's not, that's not their fault. That's just how they were trained. Mm-hmm. It's like, it would be the same thing as if someone who was working at Amazon as a, a packer had their back hurt and they went to a doctor or a physician who had no idea the requirements of the job go, Oh, you need time off. It's the same issue of, mm-hmm. And it, it sucks, it's hard, and it's tedious, and it costs a lot of money. But again, at the same time, it's like, how much do you actually value what you're doing in the weight room or on the platform? Like, Do you value enough to actually put as much time and energy and resources into taking care of your body as you do with traveling to meets and paying a coach and paying gym fees? Or, because like, for me, that's, that's the whole thing of, if you're only willing to do the bare minimum, which is go to the gym, do a couple sets and reps under a barbell, then go home. Mm-hmm. That's the bare minimum of being a good athlete. Like mm-hmm. talking to 
other people when you need it, therapists, nutritionists, psychologists, whoever it is, like if you need that to get better, then you need that and it's not negotiable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you gotta invest in yourself. Like you gotta invest in your health and your well-being outside of the gym. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the gym's the gym's the easy and fun part usually. Yeah. yeah. For people to show up and train and have fun. But when that fun is taken away because everything hurts, you know, you have to decide um, what path you're going to take. If you want to continue doing these things, then you need to find somebody that can help you through them. Usually I wouldn't try to, if I got a DUI, I'm not going to go try to defend myself in court. I guarantee no, you that, yeah. you know, if you get enough back pain, like people think they should be able to fix it themselves. Like, Oh, I'm just going to do a couple sets of this, take a little time off and I'll be better. Like, unfortunately yeah. it just doesn't work that way. I, I it, no, it's I not that, that easy. I hear that shit so often. Like I had a weightlifter just a few weeks ago who's had chronic hip pain for five fucking years. He's tried resting and massage and stretching and, you know, you name it, he's tried mm-hmm. it. You know, he did not do well at his last competition because his hip was giving him problems. And then I talked to him after the competition about, hey, like we've talked about this, we need to go through some rehab, you need to invest in this to get it better. And he's like, I'm just gonna rest it and massage and it's helping, but it continues to be the same thing of he's not investing in his well-being outside of the gym. He's not doing the things he needs to do to get that hip problem taken care of. So he continues to have problems with it and it's continuing to limit his weightlifting. Yeah. And that's, that's a good segue into like the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is whether it, whether it's an athlete or in some cases coaches, like there's one coach who we all know about. I'm not going to name on the, on the air right now, but (laughs) he has stated that there's nothing that a physical therapist can do that he can't do for his athletes. Now that's a very broad statement and going into actual legal issues because mm-hmm. you know in certain cases you can't actually be prescribed physical therapy without a prescription from a surgeon or a doctor for a variety of things. So that's that's a broad statement going into really terrible like rough waters to talk about, but like do you think it's just it's the same thing as like people go, Oh, I can do a push up, So I know how to train shoulder stability or yeah. I guess it's just people's egos. And then like, uh, that's a complex question. There's yeah. a lot of factors that go into that. Um, you know, what I see a lot is people can work out. People think they can just do everything themselves. Um, coaches like the individual you're talking about saying that he can do everything a physical therapist does maybe for some PTs that might apply, but, I think that goes back to finding physical therapists or chiropractors or movement providers, whatever it is that actually truly understand the problem and can add value to his coaching experience. Um, And then we get into corrective exercise, training shoulder stability, mobility. A lot of those terms are thrown around and people think they're training shoulder stability because they're doing push-ups or, you know, pushing, holding, hanging out on a ball or whatever it is. Or crossover symmetry with some pain and stuff. But (laughs) at the end of the day, those things, unless it, it all comes down to your intention with the exercise. What's your intention? What are you having problems with and what do you actually need? And then we have to make sure those things are being executed correctly. So just because you can do crossover symmetries and do shoulder stability work, doesn't mean you're actually doing shoulder stability work. Or the shoulder stability work that you actually need. Yeah. You may be fine in those patterns, but as like an Olympic weightlifter again, like you need upward rotation and a lot of the exercises just using crossover symmetry for an example because it's really uh, popular in the crossfit world and olympic mm-hmm. lifting world you see them at the competitions people bring them in and hook them up and start going yeah like a lot of those things are kind of training the opposite of what those athletes need 
they're teaching them to pack their shoulders down and back the whole time when they're doing this and they really need upward rotation they need to be able to get their scapula moving up with the barbell so sometimes that stuff trains what looks like the same thing but they're actually pushing them in the direction they're still too far in so yeah a lot of the stability work i see people doing is crossover symmetry work they're doing band work they're doing you know external rotations Mm -hmm. and that that stuff does not train stability in the way we as weightlifters need it it trains external rotation okay that's not shoulder stability and the missing link for a lot of people is rib cage position pelvic position thorax position can your shoulder blade actually upwardly rotate and downwardly rotate yeah and then can you stabilize those positions under load um so the traditional stability work that i see people doing just isn't really effective because they're missing all of those pieces yeah to put it all together into one system they're closing their eyes and throwing darts at the wall you know and, and whatever the popular exercises are right now is what they jump into usually yeah and it's that's that's like this kind of goes back to the uh, repercussions of doing any exercise itself I was like I have no problem doing I do with my bands and stuff downstairs crossover symmetry movements mm-hmm. to warm up my shoulders to get blood sure. flowing to get nutrients into the into the joints and everything like going I do the same thing with like a slingshot to just help keep work stability like yeah. stability in my quads and my knees as I'm going get blood flowing there mm-hmm. but when it comes to like when I'm trying to actually get stability in my hip itself the hip circle isn't going to do what I need to do personally if I'm trying to actually train like you said upward rotation stability in my shoulder capsule with a barbell overhead mm-hmm. the the bands aren't going to do that because they're pulling in a horizontal fashion and mm-hmm. they're not actually upward so mm-hmm. like yeah it's again it's like that, that's actually a really good thing you both said was in what's the intent of the exercise just like what's the intent of the programming and periodization like whether it's a to get an athlete more muscle stronger or sheer power output mm-hmm. i think that's something like strength coaches and weightlifting coaches need to really put back into their periodization and programming is uh rehab or preventative exercises or the gpp stuff and when people think of gpp they think all right we gotta we gotta run we gotta jump we gotta get the stuff we don't do in the workouts but part of the general physical preparedness is is your shoulder prepared to just hold a weight overhead stapling like Mm -hmm. that's something that they don't take into account Mm -hmm. yeah so it's just more a lot you know more accessory work on some of the foundational work so what that might look like for our weightlifters is going to be, you know, a lot of just teaching people how to breathe and brace and stabilize their pelvis and their ribs and keep those connected. That's where shoulder stability starts. That's where hip stability starts. Once people have those foundational pieces in place, then we start working on teaching them how to stabilize their shoulder, how to move their shoulder blade, get upward rotation and build that into an overhead position. So, you know, we're doing lots of half kneeling work, landmine work, arm bars, hip extension type work all sorts of different foundational patterns that is just overlooked in typical programming. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and, and you kind of said it too, is like what we're really doing is the intent and the why, you know, mm-hmm. we're using the eval that we do with people to figure that out first. Like, yeah. what do we need and why are we doing this? Like something him and I harp on a lot is people have a way of doing things and they want to do it that way all the time, no matter what, you know, so back squatting, like not 
every Olympic weightlifter needs a back squat. Like they can, and if they feel fine doing it, great. Like, but if they struggle with it, it doesn't have to be done. Like you can do other squats to get Mm -hmm. the same benefits without causing your athlete problems or pain and stuff like that. So we've told people before to cut out back squatting and you know, the coach usually looks at us like we're crazy, but the why, why do we need the back squat if they don't need to? and it's causing them problems, why can't we switch it out for something that's gonna make them better? Yeah. You know, we, it, it's the why of what can we do to make them better? And what is the intent of the exercise? Usually the t- intent's not to make them feel worse or no. hurt. So, you know, it's just getting out of our own way sometimes and realizing not everything is perfect for everybody. Yeah, and for me personally, I believe that the back squat is the most effective way to get an athlete like power core power stronger for any sport however it's like okay if the athlete can't do a back squat without pain or correctly let's say okay we eventually want to get them to back squat but how do we get them we got to go back to the start line of like what can we do to get them to back to be able to back squat maybe not in a week or a month but maybe like a couple years down the line if ever, but it's like, like you said, do they need to necessarily back squat to get better? No. Should they? Maybe if they can do it pain-free and without mm-hmm. discomfort. Yeah, and it goes back to the foundation. So I've got a couple <laughs> lifters I'm working with right now that I've just taken back squats away from them because it was causing recurrent back and hip issues. Yeah. Now, you know, basically I'm doing a lot of front-loaded variations. So like zurchers, uh, front squats, double kettlebell squats, things like that, which helps them better organize, put their pelvis and ribs into a better position to where it's not causing so much stress on their lower back and hips, and then programming in a bunch of, you know, accessory work to help them better control those positions. Yeah. The idea over time being that, you know, if back squats is a big goal of theirs, we're going to help them get back to that. But then the question is, is that really something they need to progress as a weightlifter? Is it a strength issue? If it's a strength issue, maybe they need more back squats. If it's not a strength issue, maybe they just need more technical work. So again, it always comes back to that why. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty good good last little mm-hmm. bit here, but uh, because yeah. you guys got to get back to your clients here a little bit. Yeah. But um, what? And this isn't like what's your favorite exercise kind of mm-hmm. thing to do, but what's as two guys who are specialists in correcting pain and movement? What's one bit of advice you would say to help any athletes? move forward from having issues whether it's tightness or pain something that's impeding them from being able to to train like it doesn't have to be like a very specific thing but like what's what would be the first and foremost thing an athlete should do if they're feeling discomfort in training or in their sport or in life in general like what should they really focus on you want to take that Uh, I think we can both do it but I think uh one, it's it's either get Eve out if it's something chronic. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's chronic, you need to have see somebody for the pain. If you know this is not something that's chronic, or um, you've been doing something over and over again, like if you're stretching over and over again, if you're doing massage over and over again, if you're going to a chiropractor over and over and over and over again and not seeing change, mm-hmm. you should probably do something different. You know, yeah, stop banging your head on the wall and doing the same thing and look a little deeper or if it's you know if it's chronic then you actually go look for somebody that's a little bit more specialized in what you need okay yeah I would agree um, 
you know, somebody who's having uh, pain or limitation with training, especially if it's been a long-term thing, the best solution to that is going to be find someone in your area who understands the problem and get it assessed and checked out. That way you have a plan in place. Find a coach who understands your problems and you can put a plan into place. Yeah, so the basic thing of if it's not fixing the problem or nothing's changing, then you gotta do something different. Yes, if you're trying, if, like he said, if you if you try to stretch and do corrective exercise and you know go into massage and chiros, whatever it may be, and things are not changing, then it's not that your problem can't be fixed, is that you're not going to people who understand your problem. Yeah, it's like the old, like the saying goes is you're trying to put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Like yes. You're, you're not using the right tools. If it, it's, again, it's the same thing with, like in my, my world of weightlifting, it's the same thing of if someone's not getting stronger, but I'm doing back squats and front squats and deadlifts, and it's been like a year since their numbers have budged, maybe it's time to do something else as a coach. So yeah, yeah all the same thing. Yeah, and that's... It's a problem that's so prevalent in our, in our medical system. Every A lot of the treatment people get is symptomatic treatment. This is tight, we're gonna stretch it, we're gonna massage it, we're gonna get a chiropractic adjustment. They're treating the symptoms of that problem, they're not treating the cause, okay? And that's why people have such recurrent issues because all the treatments that they're, they're getting and seeking out are looking at it from a very surface level, just treating the symptom, but they're not ever actually addressing the cause. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. That's. That's a whole other conversation for another time, which I think would be a fun one with you guys, yeah, to, especially and with with uh, Stephanie one day because she has narcolepsy and mm-hmm. a medical issue. And talk to you guys about just that same thing of like the same of trying to use a hammer for every problem in the medical system. Mm-hmm. But you guys got to get back to your clients. I don't want to yep. make you guys late, but. Um, for anyone who's interested in working with you in person, or do you do online stuff as well, or just in person? So working on um, developing some more online-based stuff. Not currently, right now, we're not doing that, but that is in the plans for later on this year, hopefully. Um, working on more like of a digital programming uh, format where we can help weightlifters who can't necessarily come and see us in person with their accessory programming or warm-up programming, help them fill in some of the gaps in their training. Um, to keep them healthy. So we're looking at it more from that perspective. Um, in terms of rehab uh, online, I, that's not something we plan on offering just because it is so individual and yeah. not having being able to physically touch somebody or move them or assess them really complicates that rehab process. So we wouldn't be able to do that, but more helping people with training is kind of our plan. And if, if anybody needs help with that stuff, you can still get a hold of us um, at divergept.com. And what we can do is help somebody it's not here find somebody in their area hopefully like there's lots of people that reach out to us that like my first action plan is try to find somebody for them in their area like yeah. if we know somebody which we know a decent amount of people around now or we know what to look for we can help people find someone in their area if possible too okay mm-hmm. awesome so any other places that people can find you social media or just yeah so the website is uh, like I said divergept.com or our Instagram is diverge.pt okay awesome well, this was real fun, guys. Thanks for coming around, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future with Stephanie and maybe some other people. Maybe we can get Joel and her coach. or no, He's up in Michigan. Yeah, so. Jeff, yeah. yeah, we could always uh, Skype him in if we had to. Yeah, we, can, <laughs> we, get, we have the technology to do cool stuff. <laughs> That's right. cool. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you.
this episode of the podcast. And it was really fun talking to Matt and James, not only because they had a lot of useful information, a lot of uh, eye-opening and educational information, but because it was fun to actually talk to them in person. They uh, came over. We had a good time. They We didn't have to didn't have to Skype them in or anything like that and worry about if technology was going to crap out on us. So that was a huge relief. But I hope this episode is going to be really, really useful for a lot of people out there, particularly the strength coaches or even the therapists out there who are trying to cross over into each other's territories and just realize, maybe not realize, but just ask yourself a question of, do you want to be a strength coach and or do you want to be a therapist or do you want to be even like a psychologist or counselor? And if you do, should you just go pursue that profession? Or if you want to do it both, maybe you should pursue that profession in in addition to your own profession. Go back to school, get your psychology degree, get a counseling license, get a physical therapy license, do all that stuff. But don't act like just because you have a title means that you can have any title or be any title. Because there are some, you know, serious repercussions if... You try to play all these roles, you try to be all these different people in different careers, but you just don't have the proper education and skill sets to do so. And that's just the main message is know the limitations of not just your your practice and your licenses and your certifications, but also your personal skill sets and just your limitations in and of themselves. So with that, Thank you again for listening. Please check out the sponsors in the episode description below. And I will see y'all next time. Damn jury, I'm